0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net.
1: So you know how you always run into people at Wegmans? You know, I'm sorry if you never go to Wegmans, but if you go to Wegmans, you're going to run into somebody that you know. It's like the dang concourse of America. All right? Or may, or maybe Target. You know, you're going to run into somebody at Target that you know. Target. Wait, who did? You just ran into each other at Target. Exactly. You're always going to run into someone. If you're like me, you run across the store bobbing and weaving through the racks of clothing to say hi to that woman who was on your kid, who's the mom of the kid's, The the mom of a kid who was on your kid's soccer team two years ago. You know, that might not be you. Uh, You might be more of a, I know that guy, but I don't know if he remembers me, and I don't want to say his name, because then it'll be awkward that he doesn't remember mine. You ever do that? Isn't that better, though? Isn't that better? Target the place, bringing people together. It's better to just make the mistake. Um... Uh, and again, if you don't go to Target or Wegmans, you're probably better for it. Um, but, but, you know, these are these places that we run into people. And so, so I'm not surprised that I ran into Jesus at Wegmans. There he is. He's in the apples at the Wegmans on Route 70 in, on Cherry Hill. I ran into Jesus among these beautiful apples and all the beautiful people in Wegmans. He's right in the middle of everyone and everything. At this point in my life, I wasn't incredibly shocked to see him there. Uh, But there was a time where this might have been surprising. (coughs) However, over my years of following Jesus, I've learned that Jesus kind of makes a target or a Wegmans out of my entire life, out of the whole world. Always running into people, running into him, running into stuff that's new. Jesus is always at Target. Jesus is always at Wegmans. Jesus is always showing up, popping up in places that you might not have expected to see him. And Jesus isn't casting those sidelong glances. He knows everyone and knows everyone's name and wants to be known by them. He's dying on a cross here, half naked, showing you who he really is, completely vulnerable, defeating death and changing the whole world while he does it. Here's a close-up of the the Jesus who I I saw in the apples at Wegmans. This is one of the ways the Spanish painter Salvador Dali imagined Jesus. I think that Jesus showed up in Salvador Dali's heart, too. Um, Obviously, I did not know the man. He died in 1989 in Spain when I was in Southern California and six years old. but a, and, and a cursory investigation of Salvador Dali's life does not mean he's a person that you necessarily want to follow in all things. Uh, did some pretty whack stuff. Uh, all in the search of this mystical experience, this reality that he was he was longing for, though. Um, he, he did things that I wouldn't condone, but I think we can follow him in this painting. It's called Corpus Hypercubus. It depicts jesus on a cross that is a hypercube yes hypercube i'm really excited about hypercubes after world war ii dolly was was way into nuclear physics and and the physics of subatomic particles things that we hadn't really understood that much and still really don't that much but they were in the 1940s and 50s at least being talked about because we had blown up cities with them uh so this, this, this subatomic world really excited Dali, and, and it's kind of exciting to me. But, but so far, the excitement has only gone so much as to confuse me. Uh, Dali puts Jesus on this okay, unfolded net of a tesseract. That's what he's on here. And I think it says something about the mystery of God <laughs> uh, and, and, and the revolution of Jesus here among us as he as he was and is and will be something is happening in the universe that is beyond our ordinary comprehension and jesus is at the center of it with our embracing ourselves as the new humanity in christ uh that's what we're doing for the next couple months uh based on second corinthians 5 old things have gone and look everything has become new That's Rachel at the love feast last night. Everything has become new. Jesus, God, in human flesh entered history and and showed us a new way to be human. It was based on an old way. It was done in a completely normal human body, kind of like that normal bread and juice back there. Uh, And yet it was so drastically different that it changed all of history and has changed the perspective of many of the people in this room. Jesus has a living presence among us. He died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended in a physical body into some other realm he called heaven. But still now he communes with us through his spirit. And all of this is very hard to wrap your head around, right? Just engaging these truths with our ordinary intellect does not yield satisfactory understanding and yet many of us cannot shake the reality of jesus's presence everywhere from wegmans to target to right here or the private corners of your heart somehow all things are already new and we are opening our eyes to that everything has become new I love the the technical grammatical point in the sentence, everything has become new, has become, it's the perfect tense, it's done. It's perfect. But our experience of the world isn't perfect. Our, Our brokenness shouts in our face, personally and corporately, things are not okay. The church has hurt so many people, I have hurt so many people, you have hurt so many people. Our old patterns, our old ways of being, they seem very now. It's not unfair to wonder where Jesus is sometimes in the midst of this mess. Do you feel me on that? And yet, all things have become new. Everything has become new. Jesus is with us. I believe this, but how? Where? Is he really at Wegmans in the produce section, really? It's fourth dimensional, y'all. It's fourth dimensional. We can imagine it, we can feel at it, but it doesn't all make perfect sense. So I wanna go deeper into the confusion and show you this video about an unfolded cube of a tesseract, okay? About a hypercube. Uh, And I love that it's a kid trying to explain it to us Because it makes me feel even more confused. Because he seems to have a grasp upon it, and and he looks like he's about his face doesn't show up, but based on his voice, he sounds like he's about eleven. But he gets this, at least the math of it. So let's we won't watch the whole thing, but let's watch this video, and um, and uh, I'll I'll stop it, David, when when I'm when I think we've had enough.
0: Tesseract, four-dimensional cube, cool sci-fi spinny thing. Whatever you call it, this is a four-dimensional shape made of eight cubes folded together. This is the four-dimensional equivalent of a cube. How do you fold eight cubes together? Like this. Start with a cube. Attach a cube to each face of the old one. Connect each new cube to the ones next to it without distorting the cubes. The final cube is connected to the outside face of each new cube. Of course, this is impossible to construct without distorting the cubes. The only way to properly construct this shape would be by folding it through the fourth dimension. If this is confusing, then try imagining this one dimension down. To make a cube, you start with a square, attach another square to each face of the original one, then you connect each new square to the squares next to it without distorting it. The final square is connected to the outside face of each new square. This step-by-step process makes sense in three dimensions. All you have to do is fold the squares up. But for a two-dimensional person, there is no up. This only works by stretching out and overlapping squares. Imagine that you are placed on the three-dimensional surface of a hypercube with nothing but this map. This map is a three-dimensional net that folds together into a hypercube. The cube family has a pattern in their nets and construction. Get four of the lower-dimensional cubes in a line, then place another lower-dimensional cube next to each exposed face of the third lower-dimensional cube in line. Now, for construction. Every lower-dimensional cube touching the third one in line connects to the ones next to it, leaving the outer face exposed. The unconnected, lower dimensional cube attaches each of its faces to the unexposed faces of the other lower dimensional cubes this works for all of the cube family squares cubes hypercubes and five dimensional cubes
1: okay five dimensions is too far that's it that's it that's it
0: stop stop
1: stop stop it some people are banging their heads yes that we're, it's, it's, a, it's a conceptual model of something that cannot be conceived. That's what the fourth dimension is, because we're three-dimensional people. But they've done math to think that maybe it's possible that a fourth dimension could exist, and we just don't have the sensors for it. Or, or maybe just some math doesn't work, especially like subatomic particles that don't make any sense. Do you know about this? Like uh, particles go to both directions at the same time. One thing is in two places, as far as we could tell. What? Yes. That's what, that's what Salvador Dali is catching on to. And, and, and I hope that all you've caught from this is, huh? Okay? And those of you that actually understand this to some, you know, conversational level, I want to talk about this for hours later. All right? But not right now. Um, let me apply this metaphor to one aspect of our life in Christ. Um, We just celebrated communion there back at the table. And this ritual that Jesus gave us is to remember his presence in his absence. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And here, in between his absence and his return, he is still present to us. Metaphorically, that's fourth dimensional. All right? That's why I like messing with your head in that video and that 11-year-old. I think there are a lot of ways that we experience God that that help us to imagine uh, this this fourth dimensional idea helps us imagine us. Uh, The kid in the video gives us this progression from a point. Did you see that's a point? Just one mathematical point. A line, a square, a 3D cube, and a 4D hypercube. we have to think about things on the dimension that we we live in but you know if you thought about yourself as a 2d thing which he was trying to do i don't think he actually made it very clear but like if you if you're only as if you can only move this way on the paper and that way on the paper you can't imagine a cube that requires that dimension and that's where we live in three dimensions thinking about a fourth dimension um so I think there are a lot of ways that we experience God that are kind of bigger than our perception. They're kind of hypercubous, like Dali's painting. Maybe maybe imagine uh, communion as a hypercube. Um, It's kind of like the three-dimensional version of a four-dimensional reality in the spirit. And again, this is just a metaphor, because some people think that fourth dimensions actually exist, and I'm just using it as a metaphor. what can we see with our ordinary awareness that's kind of in this family uh, of communion? You know, what, what is the three-dimensional thing that's happening right there at the table? Be, you know, we're eating, we're drinking, and, and something's happening between us. What's the three-dimensional version of maybe the, the I'm, I'm, I'm imagining communion, this thing we don't totally understand, God's presence with us in Christ now here. Can't give full expression to that. But what something we could give full expression to in our three-dimensional limitations is community. The community that we experience. And I think that when we're when we're thinking about the new creation, we're trying to think beyond. Like Matt had us thinking early about, earlier about our phantom third hand that we have never had before. It's that kind of beyondness that the new creation is getting at. And if you read 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's struggling to describe what our new bodies are like. He's imagining a fourth-dimensional version of humanity that he doesn't quite understand, and he's putting the language on it that he can. Community, then, is where we're starting. We, know, we, can, we can kind of describe community well, but I want to try to think about how we might want to move beyond it or trust in the, the communion that is uh, part of it and more than it. Okay? Have I, have, I, have I come back down from confusing levels? I'm using a very confusing metaphor to uh, get at a, a more concrete thing, community. It, it's essential for human flourishing. It seems that community is what makes us who we are in many ways. So much of how our minds work and how our hearts work are set up by the community that we experienced growing up. So much of our decisions and, and how we think about the world now are continually shaped by the company that we keep, by the communities in which we live. And and that's one of the reasons why we gather as a church on Sundays and, and throughout the week in our cells because we are choosing to be shaped by a community that is organized around what we believe and how we want to see the world or even see beyond the world. But community is this cube Uh, and, And the belonging that is deeper than just our personal relational geometry, the communion, that might be imagined as the hypercube. That's why I love it when Dali puts Jesus on a hypercube cross. There's something more going on here than just the connection of individuals in an organization. More than the connection of neighbors in community. We're connected to Jesus, and the new creation He has made um, is making us. We belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to us, and that belonging permeates all of our relationships, especially those here. And maybe the transformation of belong- of, of our belonging is like even subatomic. Um, it's that deep. What happens when, when the Creator enters the creation? What happens when God becomes atomic? What does it mean uh, when that love that made the universe is a person who died to show us the depth and breadth of the love it was truly meant to be? That's what I think Dali is opening up to us here in this painting. Because everyone wants community. You know, it's written into our spiritual DNA as, as, as a human race. Uh, and maybe even into our actual DNA somehow. Deep inside of every person, there's this desire for communion. As you know, people are leaving institutional uh, churches in droves. One of the popular terms that describes some of the people that I know their process is deconstruction. Uh, they, They are realizing that the rigid systems of thought of many of the traditional churches that they grew up in are not adequately describing their relationship with the world and with God, and they're taking it all apart. Deconstruction. But they're not all becoming atheists. They're very interested in this sense of the communal. Uh, They're they're interested in communion with God somehow. At least the people that I know and the people that I interact with online. Another term that you've heard are the nuns, right? N-O-N-E-S. People who fill out a form with a government or some polling organization and they write no affiliation with a religious institution, that's a nun. You know, 50 years ago, there were, everyone at least had an affiliation. You know, you were Presbyterian or Catholic or Jewish or something. And now the people are not identifying in that way. But again, they're not all becoming atheists. They're not, they're not all saying there is no God. They're not all, they're, they haven't stopped seeking after communion as I think they are they are made to. Um, they are looking for community in lots of different ways, and they're, they're creating it and, and experiencing it. Um, you know, but let me just pause to say that there are lots of good reasons to leave the institutional church. Um, there are lots of reasons that people ought to be disappointed. Um, and... We in Circle of Hope are, are trying to be another alternative to that. Uh, but we don't, you know, we're, we're not immune to failure. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But people, these people that I know are, are finding community at least. They, I, don't know, I don't know if they're getting all the way to communion, but I think that's what they're going for when they're getting into other communities that are uh, supposedly non-religious, that they would say none. You know, like AA, yoga, CrossFit, roller derby people are trying to be who they really are and we aren't meant to be alone someone put their eyes up about roller derby yeah i have a friend who's a chaplain of a roller derby team but i'm thinking about this other common designation of these folks how they might describe themselves you've heard this one as well spiritual but not religious um, and i think that that often g- gets expressed at least in the people that i know as individual and not communal, even in community. <laughs> even in community, these people end up feeling isolated uh, because they're, they're, not, they're, they're reaching out for communion, but they're only getting community, and it ends up being uh, looking a little bit more like this, where they are making all these connections, reaching out for communion, and they're ju- this is what their community then looks like all of these lines that they're trying to maintain and connect uh, but it doesn't all connect together and so uh this approach to finding communion it doesn't doesn't work because these lines are hard to maintain The, the, the 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 friendships the the experiences that you're having with people in community are are not uh they're not that solid because community as I said about us, it's going to let you down. You know, community people and the experiences that you have, they're going to let you down or the class is going to be over or they're going to move. Uh, and, and, and all of the work that it took to, to make all of these connections, you know, with the person in the middle, just holding with all their might to make this happen, it's just very taxing. And it doesn't yield the, the kind of belonging that I think Jesus is making here among us. When we submit to one another and submit to this common cause, this common mission, this common Christ, God is doing something beyond our capacity to to keep those lines from being erased. God is connecting us beyond our failures and beyond our uh, capacity to hold on to one another. Communion is fueled by the living presence of God among us. Jesus is actually maintaining our community by being in communion with us. Christ's communion with us makes our community. We don't make it. That's like the new creation. It's something that has become, and we can reveal it and participate in it and practice it, but we don't have to make it. Circle of Hope is not an affinity group, a political caucus, or a shared hobby. Something else is happening, something supernatural, movemental, self-sacrificial as opposed to preferential as many of these lines often end up being. We are acknowledging an inherent and also uh, concrete togetherness. That's why this ritual of communion is so perfect. Something kind of four-dimensional is happening in something so completely ordinary as that bread and that juice shared among friends. We belong to each other because Jesus has bought us with his life. We remember his death until he comes again. That's what it's about. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind... if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, old things have gone, and look, everything has become new. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect dropdown at
1: circleofhope.net.